This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Replicate Ministries with Robbie Gallaty and his team. Here's audio content from Replicate and their track called A Pathway for Making Disciples. All right, well, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I don't have quite as many copies for everybody, so somebody's going to go make some copies um, so that you can you can take notes if you want to. Um, it's a lot of information that we'll cover, and so these are the PowerPoint slides since I didn't bring uh, the PowerPoint presentation. Um, but you can take some notes, and if you don't get a copy, they're going to bring some more. Um, and so um, they'll they'll be here momentarily. Um, there was, I think, more people in the session than I thought, so I didn't have quite enough copies last time, or for this time. But, um, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to open us up in prayer. I'm just going to kind of, I guess, do I need the mic? Okay, can you hear me? Okay. Okay, that's fine. Um, okay, so I'll try to talk a little bit louder for just a moment. Um, I'm going to open us up in prayer and then just kind of give you a little bit of a background about um, my discipleship journey. And then we're going to just go into kind of why we do what we do as far as making disciples and in what way um, I feel is the most effective way to do that. And then a very practical process. How do I go from not even knowing where to start to how does that group replicate in the end. And so that's going to be like our time together. So I'm going to go ahead and get started because we will go to the very end. And I want to leave time for questions if you have some. So let me pray for us as we start. Lord, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for what a beautiful day it is. I thank you for this opportunity that we all have to be together, to learn, to grow, to be challenged, to be stretched, Lord, to just hear what it is you have to say to us. Um, And, you know, as great as the time that we're having here, Lord, in these few days, there are so many around the world that are not experiencing that right now. And so I want to lift up those to you that are um, in the midst of these storms and in these hurricanes, Lord. And we know all too well what that is like. And so I pray for their protection. I pray for their security, for their comfort and their provision, that you would be all that they need right now um, during this time, Lord Jesus. um, I love you. I thank you. I pray that you'd be in the midst of our conversation and our sessions as we learn um, throughout the next next day we love you and it's in your name that we pray amen it's not oh there we go okay all right it works okay um okay to just tell you a little bit about myself so my name is candy gallaty my husband is robbie he's the pastor here at long hollow and we've been here for almost a year um we have two boys rig and Ryder. they're eight and six and so we're i mean all hands on deck all the time i mean it's like it's like we have four kids <laughs> it's awesome though we have such a good time with them but um I've been a believer since May 21st of 2001, and so my discipleship journey started very soon after that. Um, I knew that I had been forgiven of a lot, and therefore I loved a lot, and I loved the Lord. I had a passion to pass that on um, and just encourage women. And so I had, you know, one of my first discipleship groups a few years after I became a believer myself. I didn't know a lot about what I was doing. All I knew is I loved the Lord and I wanted to pass that on to these ladies who were friends of mine. And um, Robbie and I met after three years of me being a believer. He had been a believer for about a year. 
and was already preaching and, and traveling and that sort of thing, going to seminary. And so we met, and our hearts were obviously very knit together in that area of ministry. We were both already passionate about investing in other people. And so the Lord, you know, just kind of knit us together. We were married 10 months later, and um, our ministry replicate came along. We, we always had the ministry, but it kind of evolved over the years, and it was officially replicate in 2008, where um, we just really started to just be passionate about investing in, in the local church and helping others to make disciples. So that's kind of a little bit of a background. So been doing this for a while, and we always say we've paid the dumb tax for you in a way because we've gone through so many different experiences and and, and challenges, and then also you know rewarding times in discipleship. So we've learned a lot. But we don't know everything by any means, and we still learn every year about what we feel is the most effective. Um, and so I'm just hoping to share kind of some practical processes of what, what I do, and um, hopefully you can glean from that. And, um, you know, we always say discipleship is reproducible, not repeatable. So everything I share with you is not verbatim. This is how it should be done. Um, it's kind of suggestions. It's guidelines or guardrails for you to help you as you decide how you want to invest in the people that God has given to you. So just remembering that it doesn't have to be a cookie cutout. Um, it is just um, kind of to help you, suggestions. Um, so first off, you'll see if you have notes. If not, I believe, obviously, discipleship, being a disciple, making disciples is a lifestyle. It is something that overflows from your heart. It overflows from your time spent with the Lord. Um, so, you know, there are three ways that I feel, three sources that we draw from when we're investing in other people. First one is God's Word. Okay, so God's Word, that is where we get knowledge, it's where we gain wisdom, and it's where we understand the truth of who He is. Okay, that comes from His Word. It comes from reading his word and spending time with him. Um, there's a quote by Antoine de Saint-Exubery, and I'm not sure if you've heard it, but it says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood, don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And if you teach them to long for the sea, building a ship is going to come. And so that is true of discipleship. If you long and you have a desire and you create that desire in them for the word of God, then it is going to naturally come where they're not going to be able to help, but over, it's going to overflow in their own life, and they're going to want to pass that on, um, what they're learning. So it's, it's God's word. You know, there was a, um, there's a story that Robbie uses in his book, um, growing up, it's an illustration of a guy named Robert Sumner. And I'm not sure if you're familiar or if you've heard of this, but Robert Sumner was injured in an explosion and was lost his eyesight. And so after he had lost his eyesight, he was very distraught. He wanted to be able to read the Bible, and he couldn't see. So he had ordered the Bible in Braille and tried to feel, and he was going to teach himself Braille. Well, he realizes he has no feelings in his fingertips. So he's going over the raised characters, and he can't feel anything. And so he's become more distraught, you know. So he would raise the Braille Bible to his lips, and he would put it up to his lips, thinking, maybe I can read it with feeling in my lips. Um, to no avail, he could not. He had no feeling in his lips. And so this went on for some time, and he would try again to see if, you know, maybe something had come back. And he realizes one day, while he has the Bible raised to his lips, his tongue slips out, and he realizes he has feeling in his tongue. So at the time that the author that originally used this illustration included this story, he, it's a true story, he had read the Bible four times with his tongue. And I remember hearing that and thinking, what in the world? Like, 
Have I even read the Bible once? You know, I'm like, Robbie, if I stand before the Lord one day and Robert Sumner is next to me, and at that point he's read the Bible 40 times with his tongue, you know, I don't have a leg to stand on. Like, you know, will I even be able to say, Lord, I've read it at least once, you know? And at that point, the answer was no. So that radically just changed. And I started reading the Bible in its entirety. And so at the end of the year, I would tell Robbie, hey, if I stand next to Robert Sumner, I've got one. I've read it once. And the next year would happen, I'd say, Robbie, I've got two. You know, because I'm like, you know, I wanted to know God's word, you know. And you know, as well as I do, the more you spend time there, the, that passion and desire grows. You know, you only want more of that. And so that was just a very challenging time in my life to say, you know what, when I get to heaven, I need to be able to say I was a woman of the word. You know, that I learned his word and I grew in his word and I poured that on um, to other people and helped cultivate that passion in the, in, in the others' lives as well. Um, so we know God's word doesn't return void, Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. It accomplishes all that he purposes and the thing for which he sent it out. Um, and so you're never going to fall short by using God's word because it's planting seeds, it's going forth, and it's accomplishing what God intended for it to. You know, I tell the ladies all the time in, in the groups I get to meet with, his word is living and active. We know sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and active. It's living, and I'll repeat that over and over again because I want them to get it's a breathing thing. It's like he is sitting there talking to us. And um, I just want them to understand that. And so over time, you know, they, they start to develop that passion. You know, they start to develop the passion for the Word of God. Um, so we know it's God's Word. Knowledge, wisdom, and truth is what we're gaining from God's Word. And then the other source that we draw from is God's work, the work of God in our life. What has he done in our life in the past? What is he doing in the present? Um, So it's the work of him in us, which is his will for us. So his work is his will. And that's where we learn to apply the wisdom, the truth, and the knowledge that we're getting from the word. You know, those experiences that happen to us all the time that we're going to use those one day. You know, we always say, and you you may have heard um, some of the people from our church say the gospel was headed to you because it was heading to someone else. And so I always say your life experiences weren't just for you. They were also for somebody else. You know, what if what happened to you in the course of your life, good things, challenging things, hard things, tragic things, were for the benefit of someone else? You know, God will teach you tremendously through those things, but he will also teach others by using you to invest into them. Um, So it's the word of God and it's the work of him um, in our life. And, you know, recently, just to kind of give you a um, current, you know, example of this, um, Robbie and I lost everything in Hurricane Katrina in 05. And we were married for nine months, um, just about nine months, and, you know, lost everything. We didn't have kids at the time, but we had our dog, Gracie Lou. And so um, we evacuated with her in one of our vehicles in like a overnight bag of just never thinking we weren't going back ever. Anyway, we lose everything. And so that was a very hard time. It was a challenging time. We were newly married. I mean, it was, it was difficult. You know, those first three months were extremely hard. And um, so God taught us so much, and he actually changed the course of our ministry during that three-month period. And so that's where the desire for Robbie to pastor developed, Um, because before he was an evangelist, he would travel. Every weekend we traveled. And then Katrina happens, and everything changes. And um, over that three months, right after it happened, Robbie ended up serving on staff, and God began to cultivate this desire in his heart to pastor. So our whole ministry was changed and uh, redirected. Um, during that time. And so, <clears throat> fast forward till now. Um, back then in Katrina, his parents lost everything. His sister lost everything. His hometown was just decimated. Um, but my parents weren't affected 
we evacuated to their house. So fast forward till two months ago. And my parents lose everything in the flooding in Louisiana. And I thought, now would you know? Here we are. Now we're returning the favor because they're living with us now. Like we lived with them for a season. And I'm like never knowing, you know, now my, my parents are, you know, almost my mom's like 68. My dad's like 72. Mom's actually younger than that. But regardless, they're on up in their age, you know. And it's like now they're dealing with the loss of everything. Had we not gone through that, I would not have anything to speak into that and try to encourage them or tell my mom, you know, I know that this is how you're going to feel and it's okay. You know, you're going to cry. You're going to, you know, you're, these things are going to happen. So what if, you know, not only did God redirect our ministry during that time, um, what if it wasn't just for us? Never knowing 11 years later, it would also be to help my parents. So do you see, it's like all these things that God has done in our life and all of our stories are unique. We all have different things that are going on that God is teaching us and he's allowing us to go through. And those things are meant to be invested in other people. Um, one of my friends, one time we were talking and she said, it's kind of like being a good steward of what God's given you. And I was like, now that is interesting. I said, you always think of stewardship in money. You don't normally think of stewardship in life experiences or you know anything else for that matter so the fact that god has given me experiences and i'm to steward them well you know what does that mean and you know it's discipleship it's pouring that in um to someone else and i use the example uh, of our oldest son rig he's eight now but when he was about three and a half or four we knew there were some challenges with him and um so he had to go through the process of evaluations and um if you've ever had a child that this has happened to or you know someone in your family and you've gone through that it's a scary time and it's a very emotional time okay and so we thought okay maybe they're going to diagnose him and put him on the autistic spectrum you know and and that was okay if they were going to do that but we were trying to figure this out you know what this meant for him and what this meant for for his life and our life and so just an emotional time and we're going through all these evaluations and then um all of a sudden I get in my car one day after a doctor's appointment and I pull up my email and I have an email from a parent that was also had a child in Riggs class at the time. This was K4 now. And I didn't know anything really much about her life. She really didn't know a lot about mine, but she knew I was the pastor's wife. And so she felt led to email me because she said she didn't think I would judge her for about what she was going to say. So she goes on and just lists this long email about the struggles that her daughter has, and that she's been evaluated recently and put on the autistic spectrum. She has Asperger's and how difficult this has been and the challenges. Because she's reading, she's, I'm reading this email. I'm in my car, I'm crying. I'm like, this is my life. Like this, I could have wrote this email right now. You know, she has no clue that I'm coming from the doctors and that I'm, that I'm going through this, no clue, but God knew, you know, and so I call Robbie, and I'm like, you're never going to believe, you know, I'm trying to read it to him, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, and I look back at that now, and I'm thinking how divine, you know, that God was using her in her struggle, she had no clue, I called her up, I'm like, you're never going to believe this, but I could have wrote this email, I mean, like, we're going through the same exact thing, you know, with Rig, she ended up being in one of my discipleship groups, you know, a year later, and we were able to just guide one another, encourage one another, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's what has happened to us is a platform for ministry. And we have to look at it like that. And granted, while we're going through it, it's okay to not just blab it everywhere and pour it into everybody. There's a season for letting people minister to you. But at some point, you're going to use what God has allowed. You know, I can't tell you how many doors that has opened to talk to moms 
um, or, or families that are just struggling with maybe challenges in their children. And so anyway, it's just using, um, using what God has done, using the work that he's done in your life. I have it kind of listed there, like remember what that is. Reflect on it if you need to. Remind yourself if you need to. Hey, you did provide for me, Lord, in this situation. You did show me this. Remind yourself of what he's done and retell it. Pour it out. You know, invest it in, into others. Um, you know, I was reading this morning in First Thessalonians, and I wrote this verse down because um, this is what Paul says in First Thessalonians 2.8. He tells them, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had come dear, you had become dear to us. So he's like, I'm not only sharing the gospel, I'm not only sharing the word, I'm sharing my very life with you. And that's what we do in discipleship. You know, we're sharing that. Um, so God's word, knowledge, wisdom, and truth, the God's work, the life experiences where you learn to apply the knowledge, wisdom, and truth that you've learned. And then that last source that we draw from is God's wonder. It's the Holy Spirit living inside of us um, who we depend on every single day. We know um, in Acts 1-8 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. We also know that every time you see the Holy Spirit filling someone in the Bible, that there is a bold proclamation that is made. Someone is standing up, someone is speaking um, the words that God has given them. And so we depend on the Holy Spirit as we minister and disciple and invest in other people. I mean, every time, and and this is just a habit now, but if I'm having a conversation with someone, whether they're in my discipleship group or not, If I'm talking to someone, I am in my head praying, God, give me the wisdom. I don't know what they're going to ask me. I have no clue what's coming. You know, and I just pray that you prepare my heart. I'm I'm doing that constantly in any conversation that I'm having, Um, and especially in discipleship, you know. Um, So God's word, God's work, and God's wonder, the Holy Spirit inside of us. That is what we draw from as we invest in others, okay? So kind of knowing all of that background, what we're going to do is look at a very practical process. Where do I even start, okay? I know I should make disciples. I want to. I love women. I love men. I want to invest. You know, tell me what I do. So you've heard this probably over and over again in everybody's session is that it starts with prayer. Um, And so you want to pray that God would lead you in the way that you should go. And I always pray in two different directions. One, I'm praying that God leads me to women. So my antennas are always up for discipleship. Um, it's just a part of my everyday life. So when I'm talking with someone, I meet somebody new, I have coffee with someone I've never had coffee before. In my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if she'd want to be in a discipleship group. Like, I would love to get to know this girl. I would love to spend time with her and just hear about her life. And You know, so I'm always thinking that. And so I typically meet with groups from January to December, and around August is when I really start praying about the next group for the next year. And I start listing names on a list. So I keep it in my phone, actually, which I'm not sure where my phone is. But anyway, I have a list of ladies' names. And I will pray through them for months. I also pray not only that God will lead me to women, but that God would lead women to me if it's meant that they need to be in my group. And I've had that happen before. It goes both ways. Um, you occasionally will have someone come to you and say, I want to be in your group. That doesn't always happen. Um, on the flip side, it's way more you going to them. Um, we know Jesus went to all of his. Um, and so that's kind of, I pray in those, both, both of those directions. Lead me to women, God. Lead women to me if that's the case. I put their names on a list, and I pray through them. You know, think about where your spheres of influence already are. You know, are you involved in a Sunday school class that you have some 
close connections with? And could those be the ladies that God's leading you to minister to? Um, do you have a passion for high school girls or college girls or single moms or coworkers or neighbors or classroom moms? I mean, the list goes on and on. Or newly, nearly married women or whatever the case may be, you have a desire in your heart. The Lord is going to point you in a direction. So think about areas you're already plugged in and could those be the women that he's ministering, he wants you to minister to? So pray through that, you know. Um, you know, we read recently um, in our quiet times, Luke 6, where Jesus prays all night before he goes and he chooses those men. So he has prayed all night. So making it a matter of prayer is where it starts. Um, and I'll do that for a few months. And then once I've figured, like, I, th- I really think God is, these are the people that I'm impressed to reach out to, I will eventually contact them. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But right now you're just praying. That's, the, that's where we start. After we pray, while we're praying, you need to plan your process. Okay, so I live by if you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. That I just I live by it um, because I know me, and if I don't have a plan, it's not getting done. And um, now I am so much of a planner that, you know, I um, plan my errands. You know, like I have my list of errands that I need to run. And sometimes I even number them, like in order of how I'm going to accomplish them. Now, I don't beat myself up if one of them doesn't get done, but I need to have a plan. I'm not going to get done what I need to get done. Um, I do the same thing with my grocery list. You know, I I write all my groceries down on a list, and I normally put it in order of how it appears in the store. And then that way so I don't get on the other side of the store and realize i got to go back to the produce, you know. And Robbie's so funny because he'll always text me at the worst time. You know, I need you to get me fruit. And I'm like, but I'm not in the fruit section anymore. Like, I'm almost done. Um, you're messing up my plan. No, but um, it's funny. But no, I'm just a planner. But I just live by that because that's how I accomplish things. And so discipleship is the same way. Granted, you may not stick to that plan every single night that you meet, but overall you have to have a plan that you're accomplishing with the people that God has given to you to meet with for a time and a season. So what that plan looks like is what we're going to talk, talk about. What you want to do first is determine a time frame. Um, whether, you know, the sweet spot's 12 to 18 months. Um, so you want to decide, you as a leader... You're going to lead the group. You're going to think through, what is my time frame? Um, Somewhere between 12 and 18 months. If you're going to minister to college students, it goes by semester. And so you may would say, I'm going to disciple. I want to disciple these three or four college students. And you may keep them for two or three semesters. um, But it might not be a full 12 to 18 months in a row because of the way their schedules are. But you want to come up with that. Um, And I'll tell you. 12 months is like, it's for me, it's the, it's the right amount of time. 18 months tends to go a little long, and it's hard to keep people motivated all the way to the end. They will just, you know, in December, typically, they're ready to launch, and they're kind of, they're getting excited about that. And then when you tack on six more months, it just kind of drags that out a little bit. But there may be a time and a season for it. I've done one group that way. It was awesome for the benefit of reading the Bible. Um, we read it in its entirety that 18 months, and it made it very manageable. Um, but like I said, it was hard to keep some of them motivated till the end. Um, but so anyway, but you want to come up with what you feel, what you want to commit to. And you need to know that because when you communicate to your ladies or to your men in a little while, you're going to need to tell them, I'm asking you to commit for 12 months or 18 months. So you want to know that time frame. And then we get to what I call the essentials. These are essential for your discipleship group. You, you have to have these included. 
Uh, and then we'll get to what is optional in a minute. But what is essential It's what we've already talked about. It's God's word. You've heard this. God's word is the textbook. Your discipleship groups have to be based on the word of God, not what anybody else says about the word of God, what you are going to read yourself in the word of God. Okay, so it is essential to have a Bible reading plan. You as a leader, there is a litany of plans out there and you get to choose what that is. So whether you want to read the Bible chronological, whether you want to read a historical plan, whether you want to read a book a month and you choose what those books are, whether you want to do Old Testament or New Testament, or you decide what you want to do and what you feel is going to be effective. But a Bible reading plan is crucial. It is essential. Why? Because you're teaching these men or these ladies that how to feed themselves. Like they're not going to be with you every day of their life and they're not going to be with you every year of your life. So they need to know how to go to God's word, how to read it, how to understand what it's saying and then how to apply it to their life and then pour that into someone else. So you have to be getting them into the word of God regularly. Um, we can talk about in a little bit different types of plans. Um, I'll make reference to a few of them, but you have to come up with a Bible reading plan that they're going to read regularly. You have to incorporate scripture memory. So, um, you know, a verse a week and, you know, put in times during your year for review, you know, where you may take off for a season of learning new verses and you may just review. So every month when we go on sabbatical for about three or four weeks, we take a break from memorizing every week and we do nothing but review. But because we're reviewing for such an amount of time, you know, we're reviewing for three to four weeks, I expect them to know almost all those verses when we get back. Now, granted, some people, you're going to struggle a little bit. You may not have them all in long-term memory, and that's okay. But it's a challenge. Like, we're really going to shoot to know however many of these verses there are so that when we get back, we can all go around and we can say our verses. I'm like, I don't want you just memorizing as like you would a test and just coming in here and saying it and then forgetting it. I want these in your long-term memory. Like, I want you to be able to recall them if you need them, you know. Um, and so we'll do that. So on a regular basis, we do Scripture memory every week, and we take time to review throughout our time together. But you have to include scripture memory. Journaling, essential. Uh, Now, when I say journaling, I don't mean like long in-depth journals every single day of the week, but I require the ladies to journal twice out of a a week's time. So the the way our Bible reading plan is set up, and and I'll share more about this in a minute, it's a five out of seven day a week reading plan. So we're reading daily in the Word of God for five days. We have two days that we're off, um, which we're doing something else on those two days. But we, we read those five days. I want them journaling twice. So I don't think that's too much. I think it's very manageable to stop for a little bit longer on two days. Now, I tell them, if God is, if light bulbs are going off every day, girl, journal it, write it down. You know, I mean, share it with us. But I expect two. And then when we get together on each Wednesday night, we share at least one, if not two of them, because I need to know that they're hearing from God. Like, I need to know that God is showing them something. We know his word's living and active. We know it doesn't return void. We talked about that. So God is telling them something, and I need them to understand that and record it, and it helps you to know what he's saying to you. And so we journal a method. It's called HEAR. There are a lot of different journaling methods out there. This one, it just H-E-A-R. So H is highlight. Whatever verse stuck out to me in today's reading, you want to write that verse down. And I'm going to give you an example in just a minute. Um, e is explain. So what does this verse mean? What is, what is going on around these verses? Explain what's going on. A is apply. What does this mean for me? 
today? How do I apply this to my life? And then the R is a response. And so your response could be an action step or it could be a prayer. My response is always prayer because I never have enough time for prayer. So I always need more of it. And so I always respond to the Lord in prayer with whatever I've just read. Um, This is essential because we're living life every day. Things are happening all day long to us. We need to be in God's word. We need to hear what he's saying. And then we need to share that with other people. So give you a perfect example. My um, journal yesterday, I journaled yesterday as I was reading, I came across the verse where Paul says, Um, He bears on his body the scars of suffering for Christ. And I thought to myself, it just really popped off the page because I thought, you know, so many, we have a few places in Scripture where we see, you know, Paul was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was in prison. But we don't see a lot of, like, complaints from him. Like, we don't see him going into detail about what he suffered all the time. Um, And that hit me because I think I complain about the most minute things. You know, like, this is nothing compared to Paul. He bears on his body the scars of suffering. And here I am, you know, complaining about whatever it is, you know. And it just kind of directed me in, in the way of persecution and how it's hard for me to understand what some people go through in the world and then even what they went through in biblical days. And so my prayer was in that direction. You know, Lord, forgive me for the smallest things I complain about because I don't have a clue, you know, what, what persecution and suffering can be like. And, and I, it, it, I just prayed for people around the world who were dealing with that. Well, never knowing that a couple hours later, um, you know, just somebody got disgruntled about something at our church and went on Facebook and, like, blasted this long post about the leadership and so on and so forth. And um, so I had no idea about this, but I was up at 5 o'clock reading my Bible, journaling on Paul, and um, I find this out, and so I'm like, hmm. And so I go and I read, I read the post. Now, had I not been reading in my Bible, had God not already dealt with my heart about persecution, you know, I could have reacted in a very prideful way, in a very not God-honoring way. You know, I could have been really mad and called Robbie and like, what are we going to do about this? You know, I could have done something that would have been not good. But I was already prepared in a way, and I thought to myself, this is nothing. You know, now, granted, we were concerned that somebody was upset, but I was like, this is nothing compared to Paul bearing scars on his body for the suffering of Christ, you see. And so the journaling that is happening, I need that in my own life every single day. Those ladies need that. And when we, that's why I say it is, it is essential to include that because we're all reading the same thing and yet God's speaking to us very differently. That is beautiful. When God's word, you read the same passage, And yet somebody's going to come in, they have a completely different verse. God has shown them something completely different. And we share that with one another, and it's it's just awesome. You know, it's encouraging, and it's challenging sometimes. So it's essential to have journaling in there. You may require one a week. You may require two. You may require three. Whatever That's whatever you feel as a leader. But you need them recording what God is showing them so that you can talk about it together. So that's essential. And then prayer. You know, prayer is essential. Praying for one another, praying in your meetings together, and then praying all throughout your week. You know, we are constantly on a text. We have a group text that, that goes out. When the, one of the ladies needs immediate prayer or something's going on, we shoot that text out. We don't take up our whole entire time in prayer or our whole entire time talking about prayer requests. We will say, hey, what's, if you have any pressing need, like what's going on, is there an immediate thing we need to be praying about? Um, and then... 
you know, we move on. And so now sometimes, granted, if somebody's struggling, they come in, they fall apart. Well, you're going to spend more time in prayer. And, you know, you're going to spend more time comforting them. But that's not a normal everyday week, you know. So, but we are constantly in contact about how we can pray for one another. And we pray every day in our quiet times. We're praying for one another. It's essential. Uh, meeting weekly, it's essential. Um, you can't really meet every other week. You can't meet once a month. You know, every now and then you're going to have seasons where you may take off for a few weeks. Everybody's on vacation or so on and so forth. It's a holiday. But regularly, it's essential to meet every week. You need to be living life. You need to be seeing these people on a regular basis. And then uh, the last thing I have, which may not be in your notes, is allowing the ladies that are in your groups or the men that are in your groups to lead under your leadership for for a time. Um, If I meet with ladies for 18 months, five or six times during that period, they are leading our group in some form or fashion. I need them walking away knowing I can do what she just did. Um, If we meet for 12 months, they're going to lead at least three or four times during that period. And what I mean by that is they, I'll I'll break it down in a little bit, but I lead for a few months, I I get them involved, they are incorporated with me where they share their testimony. Um, and they, they don't even realize they're sharing their testimony. They're learning to lead. They're learning to be transparent. They're learning to share their life with other people just in sharing their testimony. And so we will do that for a couple of months because a lady goes every week. So that takes up, you know, some time. It's one of the highlights of our year. We absolutely love it. We really bond over that time and we encourage one another. I mean, it is just you really get to know somebody when they share what God's done in their life. It's, it's really a, it's a beautiful time. Then we'll come back. I'll lead everything for a while, and then we'll split that time again, and I'll give them a different responsibility. And that responsibility may be to discuss whatever book we're reading at the time because we incorporate, I'll get to that in just a minute, but we incorporate books. And, uh, and then we'll flip that where they'll come in and lead our discussion. They'll open in prayer. They'll kind of get everything going, the ball rolling. Then they will discuss our journals. They will lead that, uh, that time up. And then in the end, I'll discuss the book, and we'll switch. And then at the very end, which is where we are now, every lady gets a week, and they come in, and they do everything on their own. And so it's awesome. That's another part that's a highlight of my year. When they have learned and they step up and now they're doing this all on their own, they're facilitating, they're leading. I'm like, you know, you have gifts and talents and things you can pour into us that are very beneficial, that are going to grow us, you know. And um, now that's to the point we're at. So over the next few weeks, they're going to be leading and I just get to sit back, chit chat like the rest of everybody and, uh, and just enjoy getting poured in too. And so um, it's just essential because you want them to know that they can do what you have done with them for 12 months so that when they start that group, there's no fear like, even though they may be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I've never done this before, you know, that's going to be some of that. But they're going to know with full confidence, I have led a group of women, I have facilitated, I have been aware of my time, I know how to keep people on track. They're going to know those things. I know how to share my life. And so it's very essential. Those would be essential things you, you need to include in order to have a group that reproduces, you know, after your time together. Um, so that's all of what we call, that's essential. Then you have what is optional. Optional would be anything else outside of that, whether it's a study on a particular topic, whether it is a book. I love to read, so I will incorporate three to four books as we meet together for out, for, throughout that time. Um, I pull from different categories, and I will choose, um, I always choose a Christian biography because they're great, they're inspiring, they're motivating to read about someone who's lived this life before us how they did that you know what were their struggles and their and their um things that they overcome 
And so I will, we always read a Christian biography. We always read a book about personal growth, something like um, Timothy Keller, Counterfeit Gods, evaluating like those idols that are in our life and, and sin, like how are, how's our sin life doing. We will read a discipleship book of some sort. Um, we typically start with growing up. It's, um, it's kind of just like our go-to resource on disciplines and what it means to invest your life in other people. Um, so some sort of discipleship book. We will read books on biblical femininity. We will read books on marriage. We're reading one right now called This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. Has anybody read that book? Oh, my gosh. It is, it's really good. It's, it's called This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. And um, I remember when we first started reading, I started reading this book. It's kind of funny, but I always pick up a book. I read a few pages, and if it pulls me in, then I'll read a couple chapters. And if, if I'm really in, then I'll, we'll read it as a group. And so that's what I did. I picked up the book. Somebody had recommended it to me. And so I'm reading it, and it starts out right out the gate where Piper says, you know, in heaven we're not married. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, you know, I know this, but I really don't want to think about that, you know. And so I'm like, no lie, I start crying in my chair. And I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine being in heaven, but I don't. Robbie's not my husband. Like, that's all I know, you know. And so I'm really emotional about it. And, and I kind of straighten up, you know, he gets home and I'm like, well, you know, I'm reading. Because we joked, we had always joked about this. And he'd say, you know, we're not married in heaven. And I'm like, oh, yes, we are. I'm like, we're married, baby, in heaven. And even though I knew we really weren't. But um, and so he comes home and I'm like, look, I'm reading this book. And I'm like, Piper, right out the gate, you know, we're not married in heaven. And um, but now he does say you won't you won't recognize the loss of that. But that's hard to imagine now that you won't recognize the loss of that. And Robbie was like, well, you need to remember why we're married in the first place. And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, we're married to give the world a picture of Christ in the church. And I'm like, I know, I know this, you know, I know this. But. It was, I thought to myself, just in the title alone, this momentary marriage. All we have is this momentary marriage while we're here on earth to accurately portray the picture of Christ in the church to the world and to the girls that were disciples and the men that he disciples. You know, we all, that's all we have. And so needless to say, within a few pages of the book, I was like, this is a keeper. We're going to have to read this. And so that's what we're reading right now um, on marriage. And it's very timely for some of the ladies that are in our group um, with things they've gone through in their own marriages. So... I just pick from different categories. You know, you can do a doctrine book. Um, you can do apologetics, parenting, evangelism. If you've never read What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert, it is fantastic on sharing the gospel, understanding the gospel. And so we may incorporate that one as well this year. But so you just, I just choose different resources and books that I think are going to be really helpful and beneficial. And we read a chapter a week and then we discuss that. And then, um, We'll take breaks in between books. That way they're not always, you know, reading something. Um, now, occasionally you're going to have somebody, <clears throat> if you incorporate books, that just can't get it all done. You know, it's crazy. Life can be chaotic in different seasons. And so I had a lady once that um, she was the friend of mine. I told you had a special needs child, and then she worked full time, and um, her husband worked full time. They had a full plate, you know, and, and we were in a group together. And she came to me once, and she said, I'm having trouble, you know, getting it all done. And it was not, you know, for any lack of time management. You know, she was doing, she was just spot on with everything she does. <clears throat> and I told her, if you can't, read the chapter of the book, then don't read the chapter of the book. It's okay. You know, I don't want you skipping out on the Bible because that's essential. You have to read that. You need that, you know, every day of your life. So I said, that's fine. Don't read the chapter. You know, sit out this book 
still show up, still come, still contribute as much as you can, but you may not be able to add anything to the conversation on chapter 7 of whatever book it is. And that's okay, you know, because it's optional. Um, And then I told her, just sit out this whole time, and then in a few months down the road when we incorporate another book, try again. If you can do it, if things have, like, calmed down somewhat, then great, you know. And so that's what she did. She picked up the next rotation of the next book we did, and and it was fine. She was able to accomplish it. And so you need to work with... You know, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. It may be a time management thing that you have to help someone think through, but it may not be that at all. It just may be a busy season of life, and they can't handle doing everything. And because that's optional, it's completely okay. And so just, you know, being mindful of that if you do choose to incorporate anything extra outside of your Bible reading plan. Um, So that is how you plan your process. You know, you get... That time frame, you decide those essentials, whatever that's going to be, that Bible reading plan. You, you know, a lot of Bible reading plans may not include scripture memory. Um, Robbie and I came up with a plan. Some do, um, but some don't. But, um, you know, I was passionate about reading the Bible in its entirety. He was passionate about reading the Bible, but not really in its entirety. And um, because it's very time-consuming, it's hard. You know, he's working all day. He does, he, to read five chapters, you know, it's challenging. And so what we decided to do is come together and create a plan that was manageable for busy believers. And so this plan, it's not reading the Bible in its entirety, but it is a 260-day reading plan, which ends up being 52 weeks a year if you read five out of seven days. And so it's a chronological fashion because that's my favorite way to read the Bible. And I did Old Testament. He did New Testament. We came together. We had a team, um, our team work with us, and really just making sure that those foundational passages that need to be in there were there. And we included two scripture verses a week as choices that someone could memorize that pertain to the reading. So the way the reading works is you read five out of seven days. You have two verses that you can choose to memorize. And then I require, like, like I said earlier, two journals a week. So that's kind of that Bible reading plan. Um, but if you have a Bible reading plan that you're going to do and it doesn't have scripture memory included, then you pick out those verses as you read each week. You know, whatever verse sticks out to you, or maybe you have the ladies, whatever they journal on, they memorize that scripture. So you think of a, as a leader, be creative in how you want them to memorize scripture, but y'all want to be, you want to be memorizing that, you know, you know, regularly or whatever. Um, so anyway, so you've ha- you, you come up with that process. And it's important to know that because when you prepare in a minute and you eventually contact those ladies or those men, you want them to fully know what you're asking them to commit to, okay? And so that's where we get into prepare for your group. Prepare for your group would be like the administrative things of your group. So first thing would be um, an invitation. You know, you want to at some point contact these ladies that you've been praying through or these guys that you've been praying through and you want to invite them to pray with you if God would lead them to do this. And so, you know, I I just got through doing this for the group that's going to gear up in January. And, you know, whether you meet for coffee or email them or text them or call them or see them at church and just say, hey, I've been praying, you know, for a few months now about about a group I'm going to be starting in January. Would you be interested in being in that? You know, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the F260. We're going to memorize scripture every week. Um, You know, we're going to share our testimonies together. We're going to do a lot of things together. Would you be interested in doing that? You know, why don't you pray about it? And then you have them pray for a few weeks. They'll come back to you. They'll say, yes, I want to, or I can't right now. This you know, season of my life is crazy, or whatever the case may be. But you want to make contact. Let them know you've been praying. Have them join you in prayer. And, you know, find out if it's something that the Lord's directing them to do as well. So that's part of what you're going to do. Um, you have to establish a covenant. This it probably should be under the essentials section because... 
it is so important for the ladies or the guys to know this is serious, like we're committing to one another, we're committing to the Lord that we're going to be on this journey for a year together. And you want them to know your expectations, so you list them in that covenant so that they fully know what they're signing on for. There are no surprises, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not. I mean, some surprises I like, but not always. You know, like, I don't like really being caught off guard much. If I'm not expecting something and then it happens and I'm like, wait, what? Um, But, you know, that happens in life. But you don't want the lady saying, well, I didn't know you were going to ask me to do this. I didn't sign on for this. You know, you want them to fully know this is what we're going to commit to. So in that covenant, there's one in the back of growing up. But, you know, you can you create your own covenant. You know, I expect you to show up every single week to make attendance a priority. You know, I expect we're going to read the Bible together in a year. We're going to memorize scriptures every week. We're, you know, bullet points, whatever it is. We're going to journal two times a week. We're going to prayerfully start thinking about replicating over the course of the year. All of those you want to have listed in that covenant so that when they have prayed and they have that in their hand and they sign their name on the bottom and you sign your name on the bottom, they fully know this is what's expected and I know I'm going to participate in this. I'm going to be transparent. You know, all those things are listed. I'm going to be keep things com- confidential. You know, um, those types of things you want to include in that covenant. They pray over that and they sign that. Now, occasionally, and I've had this happen, I've had multiple women come to me and tell me about issues they're having where somebody's not showing up, somebody's being lazy, somebody's this or that. And my first question is, did you create a covenant? No. Nine times out of ten, the answer is no. And I'm like, the benefit of that covenant is when in the event you have some of that and you have to say, hey, let's go have lunch and you're meeting with somebody, um, you always have that covenant to say, you know, we signed this. We committed to this together. What's going on? Like, you know, let's talk about it. Let's figure this out. Um, but, you know, you remind them lovingly, but they, they committed to this. You know, you grow as a unit and you remain stagnant as a unit. So if you have one that's kind of pulling you down, that's going to have to be addressed. And that covenant helps. It's not going to weed out every problem you're ever going to face. But it is very helpful in reminding them hey, we're doing this together. So you want to have a covenant of your expectations. And then, you know, I'll pass out kind of some fun things. We have an information sheet that I'll pass out, and that's just information on getting to know them, you know, how old they are, when's their birthday, when's their anniversary, do they have kids, Um, you know, what's their favorite color, what's their favorite food, favorite restaurant, favorite place to shop, favorite place to travel, you know, who's their role model, fun things that that just help me get to know them. And I'll, I'll pass that out. In our first meeting, they'll fill it out, they'll bring it back, and then I make a copy for everybody. So we all have a copy of everybody's information sheet. So when we celebrate birthdays together or milestones in their life, which we just did actually this last Wednesday, I can go to that sheet and see, you know, what was Audrey's favorite candy bar? Or what, you know, how can I bless her on her birthday, make her feel special? I have some information there, and I love reading those. Like, it really gives you insight into the people that you're meeting with. And so it's just a fun thing. We all get that. And um, it's just a real, it's, it's, it's just fun. I also pass out a spiritual assessment. Um, the spiritual assessment is confidential. No one else will see that but me. But it lets me know where they are on their spiritual journey. And if there are things I need to cover throughout our time together. So if someone is struggling with assurance of salvation, or if somebody is struggling with their identity in Christ, and they have answered on those questions in that way, then I know as we go throughout the year, we need to address some of this stuff. And I don't call anybody out, you know, or say, hey, you're struggling with this or that at all. But I know, and then I deal with it over our course of our time together. Um, So 
a spiritual assessment. Um, I have a copy of that in my bag if somebody's interested in looking at it, but um, I did. I get it. I got it offline. A friend of mine did and gave it to me. Um, prepare as far as materials. Is there anything they're going to need? I ha- highly encourage a study Bible. Um, I don't require it, but I tell them it's very important that you have a study Bible because I'm not with you every day. Neither are the other ladies. We can't always answer your questions, but if you have a study Bible and you have an immediate question, you can immediately go to the notes and get some kind of framework of what you're looking at. So it's very important. Um, You want a journal. You know, if you handwrite your journals, I type my journals on an app on my phone. Um, Others like to handwrite it, so they, we have an online um, app, which I can talk more about in a minute, but they will write theirs, take a picture of it, upload it, and then I type mine, a few others type theirs. And so we have an online accountability in that app. We're seeing the journals. Um, We can comment on the journals, like I had them add that feature because I wanted to be able to tell them something if I read their journal and I thought, wow, this is really, you know, great or encouraged me or whatever. And so we, that's, you know, one thing that we do. And if you, you know, are going to have that type of a thing, like an online app accountability, you know, you want to tell them you're going to need to get this app, you know. Um, You may need index cards for your scripture memory if you memorize scripture. So you just kind of want to have them prepared for that sort of thing. And then you're going to print your Bible reading plan or give them access to it. So if it's online somewhere, you just want to point them in the right direction because they're going to need that almost every day of the week to read their Bible. And so you want to, that's the type of things I'm talking about when I say prepare. Just kind of get those things working in the works or whatever. So you have been praying, you have planned, you have been preparing, you're going to pick a start date. And so ideal times would obviously be January or maybe in the fall when everybody comes back from school. That's not always the case. You know, I was telling the last group, if you're geared up and ready to go to start in November, then you start in November. You know, there's no cookie-cutter time. It's just that ideally they work well from January to December or January to the following June, something like that. Um, So you pick that time. You pick the day. You know, are you going to do day, night? Day, night, you know, I said Tuesday lunch, Sunday brunch, you know, whatever whatever you want to do. Um, you know, we've always met typically on Wednesday nights, and I also have a group that meets during the day. I've met in coffee shops. Um, sometimes we regularly meet at the church. It's very convenient. Um, but we will mix it up, and we'll go have dinner together. We'll go have lunch, or we'll go get coffee, you know, and do our meeting there. We'll go to one of our homes, you know. So you determine, you figure all that out. You let them know, hey, we're going to meet every Wednesday night from 6.30 to 7.45. You know, there's activities for the kids, you know, and we're going to meet here at the church or whatever the, whatever works for you. Um, but you want to pick that place and that time. You know, I was telling one of the ladies, you could go to lunch at the same place every week with your ladies and meet the same people and evangelize at the same time, you know, and, um, and witness at the same time as you're doing your discipleship group. So you, you choose that and then you communicate that. Now, in the event that... Somebody that you ask to be a part of your group can't make that time, then that may not be meant to be for them to be in your group because you can't necessarily meet at another time, and that's okay. You choose what works for you as a leader, and when you communicate that to the others, they're either going to be able to make that work or they're not. And if they can't, then it may just not be meant to be right now for them to be with you, you know, or whatever. It could be somebody else that they're supposed to be with. Um, but anyway, you're going to pick a start date, and then you're ready. You're going to proceed. You're going to, you're going to go. A um, couple of different things. You know, every process can look a little different. It's unique to the leader. The leader. You know, so I said this earlier, it's reproducible, not repeatable. Um, and that's just something to keep in mind. Um, you're, you as a leader, you have the freedom to choose, you know, what you feel is effective. 
um, and, and invest. You know, I had one, a friend of mine back in Chattanooga was, you know, leading a group, and um, she would have them study one week different religions, and then they would all come in and teach on the different religions. And so you can incorporate teaching into your groups as well. Um, just remember, whatever you incorporate, you have to teach them to do. So I love to teach. So I will occasionally dig a little deeper into things that we're reading about, and I will come in and I will share that with them. For example, if we get to the tabernacle, that's not really something you just want to gloss over, you know. Um, You want to spend a little time there. And so I have studied the tabernacle some, and I will come in there and I will share that with the ladies. However, I don't ever want to do anything with them that I can't teach them how to do on their own so that in the end they could replicate that. So what we will do is occasionally I will teach on things like that, but what I do is I show them how I came up with that. Where did I get this information? How did I study it? What resources did I look at? And so we actually just got through doing that because we're now at a point where they're all about to lead everything for themselves, you know, um, in these next few weeks. And so I brought in some of my resources on, on Wednesday night and pulled up my computer and directed them, this is how I prepare if I need to dig a little deeper. And so I told them I go through the Bible, I read for myself, and I underline and I make notes, however the Lord is leading me. Then I go to my commentary notes in my study Bible, and I get further insight into that passage. Then, you know, after I've done that, I pull up, I have two whole Bible commentaries that I use and I've used for years. This one, um, you know, so it's not going to have absolutely everything there is in a commentary on, on, on the passages, but it's, it's enough for what I'm looking for. Um, I use this one, and then I also use the whole Bible, the Moody commentary, whole Bible, which is fairly new, but it's excellent. I'll read both of those and maybe make notes or highlight. And then I have two online sources that are free that um, I use, blueletterbible.com and then um, preceptaustin.org. So I show them, I pull those websites up, I show them how to enter a scripture and how to look it up and research it and if they want to go to the Strong's Concordance. You know, I show them how to navigate that. So if they do want to study something on their week a little more in-depthly, now they have four or five resources that they can go to, and some of those are free resources. And then I tell them these would be some of the men or the women I would trust what they say, you know, and, um, and that way they kind of know, too, this person's legit, you know, because, you know, not, not everybody is. But, um, but anyway, I, te- I show them because I just want them to know that they can do everything I've done with them. And so that's um, just important. Uh, one of the girls is a, she's um, about to lead, and she is a prayer warrior. I mean, just prayer warrior. And so I told her, that is what you need to teach on. Like, that is your life. You live it every day. You're very passionate about it. You need to come in here. We have a lot to learn from you in this area. And so I've encouraged her to come in and pour that into us and, and teach us what does that look like in her life and then how can we incorporate that, you know? And so you just want to invest and teach them to do everything that you can do. Um, so just having said that, if you look in your notes, I have the details, like I, I have a process that I use. This was actually a few years ago, so it's, it's changed only by the Bible reading plan, but it says in here the 18-month chronological plan. Um, and what I did is we've actually done the F-260, which is the plan I, I, to, I told you about a few minutes ago that Robbie and I did. That's what we've been reading this year. And I'll tell you what I've learned in reading the Bible, um, especially like I tend, I, I, I was becoming legalistic about reading the Bible in its entirety every year. 
And I'd be like, you know, I, I have to do this. You know, this I'm gonna do this no matter what. And um, and so I realize we create this plan, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like, am I gonna do the F260 which I created, or am I gonna read the Bible in its entirety, you know, in a year or 18 months? And I realize it is okay to not read the Bible in its entirety every single year, you know. And so it's not about the quantity of what we're reading. It's about the quality, and it's okay to slow down, take a breath, read and digest more, you know. So that was something personally I had to, you know, deal with. And then um, still, you know, when we got ready, we did the F260. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it, you know. And then I have absolutely loved it. I mean, just reading five out of seven days a week and then journaling and just being able to really take it in more. And then on the two days that we're off, is when we read our books, you know, so we have plenty of time to read those books that we incorporate. And so anyway, that, that process, I've been doing that plan this year. We've memorized verses every week. We've journaled twice a week. We've read extra books, um, three at this point, and they have led a few times at this point and they're about to lead, you know, for their last time. And then we have round table discussion every night about our journal entries, about the books, you know, if we share testimonies, we're talking about that. And so that's kind of what that looks like. And if you think about the Bible, Jesus did the same thing. You know, he did many miracles and he did many things on his own. And then the disciples assisted him on numerous occasions. And then he sends them out on their own and then he ascends and they're here. And so it's the same model that Jesus does is what we're imitating in our groups by having them partner with us but then learning to do it, you know, on their own um, and learning to use their life in doing that, um, the work that he's done in their life. Um, I have, there's a little section here on managing your time together. Like when you're actually sitting in there, what does it look like? How long do you want to spend on this or on that? You tweak that. You know, that's your thing. This is just a guide. If you like, okay, well, how long do I spend in prayer or how long do I spend doing this or that? This is just like a little a guide for you, um, but that would obviously could change. Um, that's just kind of what we do, and I give that to the ladies. That way they are aware of time because women, we like to talk, you know, and we can chase rabbits, and we can be really off track, and um, it's my job as a leader to be aware of the time, and if there are still some things we need to talk about that we haven't, kind of getting everybody back on track, and so the ladies, you know, kind of have a guideline to when they're doing that on their own. Um, just some tips, you know, sometimes your weekly format is going to look different depending on circumstances that y'all are facing. So, like I said earlier, if somebody comes in, they fall apart, they've had a really rough week, you're going to be spending more time maybe encouraging them or talking about what it is versus being militant about everything you're going to get done that night. So just being aware of that, being sensitive to the needs of your group, um, balance teaching with dialogue and discussion, you know, um, I'm like, I never want to come in there and just teach them for the hour that we're there and not hear a word from them because that's not, that's not doing anything. Um, that's why it's so important for them to journal because I want to know what did God tell you this week and let's talk about that. Um, so that would be just some tips. Goals of a D group, like things that you're shooting for um, long term. Obviously, individual life change. You want that to start taking place. Um, you want growth in your own life. You want growth in their life, that spiritual journey that they're on. You want them to become closer to the Lord than they ever have been and that they will continue to be throughout their life. Um, we have a little triangle that's, you know, know, love, and obey. The more you know God, the more you love him. The more you love him, the more you obey him. And so all that happens in that discipleship journey as you're reading his word, as you're talking about it, as you're memorizing, you know, all those things are going to happen. 
Um, you're educating, equipping, and empowering. So you're educating in biblical literacy and, and biblical worldview. Like you, there are so many people who really are just illiterate of the Bible. And you're teaching them, you're hoping that what you're starting here is going to be a pattern of their life for the rest of their life. So if you can get them where they're engaged in God's word daily, they are learning God's story year after year, better and better. They're going to have a biblical worldview. They're going to know where to go, what the word says, how do I make decisions? They're learning all of those things, and you're hoping that that's going to go on for the rest of their life. And so you're educating them in Bible literacy and biblical worldview. You're equipping them maturity. I know you've heard that at this conference from from various different speakers that um, you're helping to mature people in their spiritual growth, and at the same time, they're helping you. You know, I tell the girls all the time, I need this just as much as you do. I need you pouring into me, encouraging me, and investing in me, just like I'm investing in you. Um, I need that, you know, and I tell them, you always learn more when you lead. You think, I'm going to teach you all these great things, and I'm going to try, but you always learn more when you're leading for yourself. Um, so, but you're helping in maturity, you're helping discernment, like how do I make wise decisions? How do I handle what I'm dealing with in my life right now, you know? Um, how do I manage my time if I'm struggling with that? You know, teaching them just leadership skills, you know, you're going you're gonna to deal with all those things naturally as you go. Um, and then you're empowering them to replicate, you know, you're empowering them to do this themselves, and then you're also empowering them to serve. I mean, they're going to serve from here on out, you know, um, most of them will. You know, you're going to have some occasionally that's not going to happen. Um, and there are going to be times where there are some who don't need to replicate. And we, we can talk about a little bit of that. Um, we're making good on time. This is where I ran out last session. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, but kind of the last little part we're going to talk about is elements of an effective D group. Um, my husband, Robbie, has a book on this. And, and it's much... Um, you know, much more than the information I can give you in our short amount of time here. But if you ask in yourself, how do I gauge the effectiveness of a discipleship group? He has a book called Marks. It's M-A-R-C-S. Um, missional, accountable, reproducible, communal, and scriptural. And so I'm going to touch on a few of those. But if you wanted more information, you could um, you could grab that book or you could talk to him um, at the Replicate booth about it. Um, and then I have added, there are a few other things I have added, such as encouragement, transparency, commitment, confidentiality, and leadership. All of these help uh, make a group effective. So missional, you know, when we think of missional, obviously we want to be mission-minded. We want to go if the Lord's leading us to go. But, you know, we can't always go in every season of life. And so that's something that Robbie and I have talked about a lot. You know, I would say, hey, I want to go here, I want to go there. And he would told me, you know, I need you here. Like, I, I just, I don't need you going off right now on a trip. Um, now, if the Lord was to lead him in that way, he would let me go. But at this point, he's like, I need you here with our boys, you know, for this season. And so I'm like, okay, well, then how can I be missional even though I can't go? And so I had this thought a couple years ago at our former church, and I um, went to the missions office, and I said, I'm, I need every missionary card that we have sent out or we support, like those, you know, those missionary cards that you get. I said, um, I need all of those, and I need seven copies. And so they, I got, they were actually on a wall. So I gathered them all, and um, I asked all of the ladies to give me a, a family picture of themselves. And I went and I, you know, punched holes in all of them and put them on a book ring. And so I, I show up one night, and I said, okay, we're going to start praying for all the missionaries that we support on a regular basis. So when we wake up in the morning, we have our quiet time, I want you to flip through one missionary a day, 
and I want you to pray for them. And um, let me tell you, it, it was life-changing. It, it was life-changing for me, and I know it was for the ladies too. And It was something I was like, man, I wish I had done this for years now. And I, ha- I didn't start until just a few years ago. And some of these people I did not know. You know, they were overseas, you know, on the field, and maybe I had not met them before. But as I would pray for them, I started to sense that I knew them. And um, I know the other ladies would say the same thing. And this one particular girl we were praying for, and she was serving um, over in a difficult place, um, kind of on her own. She was single. And, you know, we didn't know her, but we started praying for her. And as we're praying for her, um, a team ended up going and visiting her. And she, we found out she had been struggling with intense spiritual warfare, um, panic attacks and anxiety. And she, I can't tell you how encouraging it was for her to know that there was a discipleship group of ladies, six or seven ladies, praying for her. We started sending her books and just like developing a, a connection and being able to, in a small way, meet any kind of a need that she had. And it just, it was life-changing. And so as they flipped through and they would pray, they would eventually, I don't know if I can pinpoint mine, but they would eventually come to their own picture. And I said, you know, you got to remember that you're a missionary everywhere you go, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community. And so, you know, praying for their own family in that same way. Um, So that was crucial. And when we came here... I went to the same thing. I went to the missions office. I said, I need every card for every missionary you have, and I need seven copies. And so um, they didn't have any at the time. They had been had a desire to make these but had not made them yet. And so I asked them if they would make them and if they would let me know when they did. And so they did. And so I went and got them, and they've made it kind of where it even stands up, which is really cool. And um, so now when we do our quiet times, we flip through. We have the picture of them, who they are, where they are, what ministry they are, and we pray for them. And so every morning... I flipped through a missionary from this packet, a missionary from here, and then we actually did our staff that way. That way, you know, all of our staff have a copy, and so we pray for our staff the same way. And so what I do to kind of streamline all of that is when I am reading my Bible and I journal, like I did the other day on Paul, that's what I prayed for these people and for the staff. Like I'm using what God is showing me, and I'm directing that in my prayers for them. So I was praying for protection. I was praying for you know, safety. I was praying for their children, you know, and that's just how I directed my prayers. And so whatever he speaks to me, whatever I read, even if I don't journal that day, I look at the scripture I've just read and I'm like, okay, what's the point, God? Like, I know I didn't journal on this, but what do you want? What is that theme here that you want me to see? And then I pray for the, my, my people that way, you know? And so that's how, and I encourage the ladies, we're going to be missional, even though we can't all go. Um, we can do that in other ways. And so Anyway, um, that just really helps, you know, it helped me tremendously. And, um, but anyway, so that's missional. And then you have um, accountable. I want to touch on that because this is a really big deal. Um, accountability is, is probably, if you don't have it, your group is not going to be effective at all. So it is, one, it is the key. It's, it's the, like one of the driving forces of your discipleship group. Um, now, you're accountable every week in your scripture memory, in your reading, in your journaling. You know, when you talk about those things, you're holding one another accountable. Um, most of the time, everybody's going to show up and they're going to have those things done because they don't want to be the only one that says, well, I didn't get a chance to memorize, you know, today or this week. Um, every now and then that's going to happen, but on the most part, you're all being accountable every single week. That's why you say it out loud. You know, you go around the table, you say your verses out loud. That's what we do. And then we share our journals out loud. Also, we're journaling online. So I told you all we had that online accountability there. What's awesome about that is it tells you how many days it's been since someone's posted. So I require two a week. 
So if I end up just happen to scroll through and I see so-and-so hasn't journaled in 14 days, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, there should have been at least four in there in a 14-day period. And so I can say, hey, girls, you know, I think some of you are forgetting to post your stuff, you know. You know, hoping that, that maybe that's all it is, you know. But occasionally it's that someone just hasn't been doing it because they haven't been held accountable to do it. So it's just, you know, you want to hold those ladies accountable and at the same time it's keeping you accountable. Um, and then you also have sin accountability. So there is going to be times where sin surfaces and that has to be dealt with too. And so I'll just, you know, give one uh, or two brief examples um, I had a lady, you know, good friend comes in the group. I would have never known this. Actually, she didn't come in the group at this point, but I was meeting with her one-on-one for, um, like, breakfast and lunch. We were just talking about some things, and um, she had been sick a lot. And so I was like, you, when I saw her, she got out of the car. I said, how are you feeling? She's like, I'm okay. And I said, you, I feel like you've been struggling a lot with these, like, respiratory infections. She was like, yeah. And, you know, we go and we had lunch. And um, while we're sitting there, she's like, i got to tell you something. And I said, all right. She said, I've been praying, like, whether I should tell you this. And um, she said, the first thing you asked me this morning was, you know, if I was feeling okay that I had been struggling with these infections. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'm a smoker. And I was like, okay. And, and, and she said, I've smoked for years. And she was just broken about this. You know, she was crying. And she said, I feel like the Lord's convicting me and telling me, you know, that I need to quit. And um, I don't know what to do. I've tried this before and all. And so, you know, we prayed and I said, well, we're going to try to come up with, let's come up with a plan. Like, how can we start cutting you back and get to a point where you can eventually quit? You know, I said, you may have to go to the doctor about this and find out what he suggests. So we kind of come up with, came up with a plan. And I didn't have to like go to her and say, you're doing this, you know, shame on you. She felt convicted, came and, and shared that, you know. And so she said, I don't think I'm ready to share with the group. And I said, well, that's, that's totally fine. I said, I'm not going to force you to do that. I said, however, if you don't experience victory in what you're doing on your own or what I'm trying to help you do, then at some point I think it would be beneficial for you to share this with the group so they can hold you accountable and help you. And so a couple months goes by. I never pushed her to say anything. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she comes in and she, you know, shares this with the group. And, I mean, you know, you would have thought she had killed somebody because she was so brokenhearted about this in her life and they just encouraged her and said you know it's going to be all right you know we're going to we're going to help you we're going to try to do everything we can do and she was just learning to be transparent and open and let people in and felt like it was safe to tell them about this in her life you know so I didn't necessarily have to go and pinpoint her and tell her a bunch of things she came to me with what God was dealing with and then we just tried to hold her accountable to accomplish that Um, so you're going to have those kind of situations and then there's going to be times where you may have to ask somebody to leave because of sin that they're not willing to change. Um, and I've had that happen. Um, I had a, just a precious friend, had gone through a tragedy, was in the group, and um, just was being intimate with men. Sexual sin was in her life, and um, she was single, and um, she had lost her child um, about a year and a half before this was going on. And so anyway, as she came to me, she confessed this. I, you know, I would have never known that she had even been dating anybody because she was not being forthcoming with that we, we just didn't know and so I met with her one-on-one we talked about it I told her I want you to go home and repent I want you to we're going to move forward you know in this and um gave her scripture and all and so you know I thought okay maybe this will be all right three months down the road we're in the same situation okay again with her and at this point you know I'm like you know I was asking her the tough questions she was being honest with me which was good but I said listen, we have got to meet, we have got to deal with this. And so she came over to my house, you know, I I gave her the word, you know, I'm like, there's no other sin that so clearly affects your body as sexual sin. I said, and 
I cannot allow you to remain in this group if this is the lifestyle you're going to lead. Like, we, we've got to do something here. And I said, what we're doing is not working. I'm trying to hold you accountable. It's not working. And I said, you're going to need to come. If you're going to remain in the group, I'm going to ask you to abstain. I said, if you don't need to date men for a year, then you're not going to date men. I said, but you need to come to the group and you need to confess to the group because we're a unit here. We've been together long enough. These ladies need to know what's going on in your life, and we need to be able to hold you accountable. And um, I said, if you don't want to do that, that's fine too, but this is doing nothing for you. You know, you have habitual sin in your life, and we've got to nip it, work on it. And so um, she did not want to come and and, and say anything to the group. And I said, you know, that's fine. You know, I said, I'm going to love you no matter what, but this is pointless for you to be in discipleship. And so she left that day. I cried. She cried. You know, I, I just prayed, Lord, please use everything that we said, just minister to her heart, you know, um, just use it, you know. And two months goes by, she calls me, asks to go to lunch, and so I said, yeah, I met her at lunch. She just tells me about how the Lord's been working in her life. She shares with me scriptures from Proverbs that God had dealt with her heart on biblical counsel and said that not coming back was the worst mistake she'd ever made. And she asked if she could come back. And I said, um... Yes, you can come back. And I said, but you still have to tell the group. I said, because they love you and they have been for two months now praying for you. They need to know what's going on in your life, you know, and we need to be able to help you. And so um, she did. She came back and she let them in. And like, this is what I'm struggling with, you know. And I was like, you know, as much as I loved her and I wanted this for her and, you know, all of those things, I told her I could not um, imagine the tragedy that she had gone through. But I couldn't allow the tragedy to justify her sin. And so that was a very hard thing to maneuver and very difficult. Um, But anyway, you're going to have that. That's going to happen every now and then. It may not be as intense as that, but dealing with sin, it's it's what helps to make that group effective is that accountability. I don't have enough time to go through all of them, but um, obviously reproducible would be effective. You want them to reproduce in the end. Um, Encouraging them, building confidence into them that they can do this. Um, And then... um, keeping things in confidence, you know, and building that trust there. Um, So that's just some of the elements that would make um, a D group effective. Um, We didn't get really in time to to discuss, like, the fruit and frustrations of a D group, but those are kind of self-explanatory. But um, I know we don't have much time left, um, like one minute. (laughs) Um, But is there any, like, does anybody have a question, um, something? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So her question is, um, if we're going to go on vacation, do you take that into account as you plan your year? And yes, I do. Like, um, it doesn't change what we do in the year's time, but there will be a season where we take off for three or four weeks because I'm, we're, we go on sabbatical. So we're gone for a little bit longer than some people are. I think that thing just fell out my pocket. Um, and so what we will do is maybe take off three or four weeks. We keep reading our Bible. We keep journaling. But we take a break from Scripture memory, and we review for those weeks. Um, and then sometimes, you know, some people like to take off a month or a couple of weeks or that sort of thing. Um, but we, it doesn't change how long we meet um, or, or much of what we do during that time. Yes. Right. Okay, so you're asking, like, for those that are um, even mature, maybe have been through discipleship, is there anything else for them in the form of discipleship at some point in the future? Yeah. Um, 
you know, there is nothing formally. We do different trainings around. But um, if that was the case, what I would encourage those to do, if there were a few of them, is getting together and having like a discipleship group where they just decide to go deeper for, for that season. Um, and then, you know, because sometimes you're going to get groups like that. They want to go deeper. They want to be challenged. They want to be taught more. And I had a group like that once years ago, and um, we did a lot of teaching and a lot of preparation and that sort of a thing. And it was a huge, it was like a leadership training almost, but in the form of discipleship. And so I, we don't have anything formally like that. I would take that as it comes. So like if I got a group that was ready to do some of those things, I could take them a little deeper if need be. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.